This is the American Military Brit. Shedding light on the realities of military life. Now, here's your host, U.S. Air Force Staff Sergeant Christopher Clark. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the American Military Brit Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk to different military members to figure out the full story about the military, and we don't just focus on the rumors, such as the Marines being crazy or the Army being stupid. We actually figure out from the people themselves what the story is with the military. So I hope you enjoy this podcast that we have for you today. Hey, how's everybody doing? Welcome to the American Military Brit Podcast. So I'm excited about these next few episodes because I'm going to be bringing you guys outtakes from my various podcasts that I did, 10 of them in total. Um, First of all, thank you to the guests because they provided me with a lot of good material and I want to share that with you guys. So uh, we're going to get into these, these outtake episodes. So I'm going to go section by section here. So the first section is going to be my intro podcast. In this podcast, I talked about, um, well, in this outtake that I'm going to bring you, I talked a lot about basic training and tech school. And in these outtakes, I just, I talked a lot about the details of um, basic training and tech school. So I just wanted to bring you a little more material on that, to be honest. So um, let's get into the intro podcast. So you get to listen to me boringly talk about basic trading and tech school for a couple of minutes here. So let's get into it. Luckily, I got off crutches in time for week six, which is beast week. So um, yeah, you had the different weeks. So from zero week zero to week eight. So it was eight weeks. Um, well, it was eight and a half weeks technically because um, week zero counts, counts as like a half week, I think it was. So, um, but yeah, um, in time for beast week, beast week was basically being, it was a way of you know, testing your might, if you will, of being involved in like, uh, you know, like a wartime scenario. So you were sleeping in tents and whatnot. And it was, uh, there was a lot going on there, to be fair. Um, but basic training in general was, it was a, an interesting, interesting spot because I met a lot of people, like a lot of Americans and whatnot from different, different uh, ways of life. Like I got a friend who's from Georgia and just to kind of like hear his accent and hear the way he spoke and, and, and the way he acted and whatnot. And that was the case with different people because I'd never been surrounded by so many Americans at that point. You know, at, at least not, you know, the last time I was surrounded by all those Americans was when I was a little kid. So it was definitely a different scenario to be in. And, um, you know, for me, being from England, it was difficult. It was interesting for them to get, you know, used to me and for me to get used to them. So it was definitely an interesting experience overall. But, you know, basic training in general, it was an interesting experience. And it's one that uh, I'll definitely remember for the rest of my life. Church was the best part. Church and the food, even though you, you didn't really have much time to eat the food. Um, there was this one thing they all had called liquor biscuit, where you literally would just I'd have like a biscuit, drench it in syrup and just eat it real quick. But it was literally just get in and get out pretty much, which is why, because they literally were like, you have to lick the biscuit and go, but I'd like stuff it down and then quickly leave sort of thing, which most people would do as well. But yeah, we'd go in there and IMTI would be like, lick a biscuit. <laughs> it's like, okay, let's grab a biscuit, eat it get out basically and get on with your day but uh best part about basic training i think was church because church was like a chilled environment on sundays usually the mti wouldn't be there so you could go to church on sundays and you could just have a good time 
um, talk to people and all, all different kinds of things. So it was a good time and basic training really, really was. And I remember meeting the week eight graduates because when you'd meet the week eight graduates, they'd be so, so like positive and so happy. And, uh, you know, to eventually be a week eight graduate and be kind of, uh, you know, talking to different people who are in like their first weeks and seeing them around and, and whatnot, because you had the, um, it's called EC duty, entry controller duty. And uh, there was a moment where, you know, you'd have the week eighters come in and like kind of teach you EC duty and whatnot. And um, we got to do that when we were week eight as well. So that was awesome just to meet the first weekers and they'd be like, oh, what's it like to go through basic training? And it's just funny because they're just, you know, they're little kids and they're only just starting out and it's just like, it's cute, you know, so. Uh, but overall, yeah, it was a great experience, but, uh, it's not, I don't know if it's something I'd want to do again, but it was definitely something that will live in my mind for a very long time. Tech school was, it was a good time in sense of the people that you meet and the, the weekends and the good times you had, but it was bad because it was really, really stressful trying to learn how to be an intelligence professional and being intelligence involves a lot of briefing, which, you know, PowerPoint presentations and whatnot. And I didn't even know that when I got there. I remember the first assignment when we got there was to do a presentation on like a certain news story that we got. And, you know, all of us kind of looked at each other like, what's going on here? Because we weren't expecting that. It was just kind of one of those things where, you know, they surprised us essentially. So uh, it was interesting. But uh, yeah, tech school was up and down, to say the least. So we all have reasons why we joined the Air Force, right? I... Pretty sure I, I explained my, my journey and, you know, going from obviously just going through education and then not liking that and then going through nothing jobs and then just thinking, you know what, let me just start fresh in the Air Force. And in this next clip, Sean Peach and he talks about why he joined and how he was, he went to college, he was delivering pizzas and all that thing. So we all, we all have that journey that we go on, but I think overall you have to look at the Air Force as it's a great place just to get some direction because when you're in the Air Force, they take care of you. You have kind of all these things that are, that are paid for. You get all these allowances. It was honestly the most money I'd ever made when I, when I joined the Air Force. So I, obviously, I thought it was great. But uh, everybody, overall, just everybody has their reasons and their, and their journey towards joining. So in this next clip, I talked to Sean about that. So here it is. I'm curious about um, why did you join the Air Force? Like specifically, was there a moment that went on where you were like, oh, yeah, I want to join the Air Force, whatever it was sort of thing? Uh, actually, so my grandparents uh, were in the Air Force. My mm -hmm. dad and my stepdad were in the Air Force. So it was like kind of a family thing. But when I was growing up, I said, you know, like, uh, never going to join the Air Force. I was like, I'll never be in the Air Force. I was mm -hmm. like, I'm not going to go to a place where somebody's going to yell at me. Tell me what to do, like treat me like crap, you know, because I kind of see, you know, I see what the TV portrays and everything. And right. so I was like, you know, I'm not going to do it. And then uh, I graduated high school, I was kind of tooling around college at the time, Indiana, middle of nowhere. Mm. I was going to get into some computer networking, like computer network business, network administrator, something like that. You know, as, as computer jobs were all the rage back then, right? So, like, mm. uh, but by the time I would have got out, you know, the career was already saturated. So I was like, well, kind of a loser, just delivering pizza. <laughs> School is not very fun. 
I was like, you know what? I was like, I think I'm going to join the Air Force and like, you know, they should be able to help me kind of figure out, you know, what I want to do. I was like, I want to do a cool job. I want to do like some kind of like Intel thing, like mm. James Bond or All something. Right. Oh, so I was gosh. like, yeah, I was like, so I'm going <laughs> like, to do this and I'm going to try to like, you know, get a get control of my life because at the time it's just like going to the university you know drinking partying or whatever you know delivering pizzas on tips blowing my money and just not i didn't have any real direction so i was like man i need some direction and i was like i bet the air force would give me some direction so that's where i went and then 18 years later here we are (laughs) still here yeah i mean that's that's one thing that people really have to realize about I don't want to speak for the whole military, but the Air Force, it's a good place to kind of, like, I relate to that story that you were saying, you know, you, you're you lost in life, you're doing all these, like, nothing jobs. I mean, I wasn't delivering pizza, but I was, like, I was doing door-to-door charity work, just, like, talking to people, trying to get them to invest in charity and stuff like that. So it's just, like, embarrassing, you know. I'm once again <laughs> asking you to please donate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. It was, just, it was just bad. And, like, I'm scared of dogs as well, so there'd always be dogs barking at <laughs> The, like not all dogs but like german shepherds especially oh, like somebody yeah. had a german shepherd once and i was like yeah i'm out of here but uh <laughs> but yeah the point is the air force is a good place to get some direction we all have our dreams when we're younger right like for a, a most of us or for a lot of us it's a case of we want to make it in a sport we want to become rich well that's probably the reason that we're trying to get into the sport i mean yeah obviously there's love for it with some people but i mean hey you get compensated a lot don't you if you make it big so i spoke to eric um Mr. Lovingood, who I'm sure a lot of people are excited to hear from again. I spoke to him about why he joined the Air Force, and he kind of gets into a story here about how he got into football or he played football in, in high school and whatnot, and you know he, he got a concussion, and he just didn't like the way that felt, so he decided to, to go elsewhere. And obviously, you'll see in the podcast that we had together, you know, his family, some of his family members were in. And you can, you know, hear his entire story on, on episode eight. But uh, this this outtake here, it's a very interesting story. And it's, it's kind of one of those things that um, people should hear, man, because it explains, again, a different perspective on somebody's journey of, of getting into the, into the Air Force. So... Here is Mr. Lovingood, ladies and gentlemen. How did you get into the military? Like, what made you? Was there a specific moment? Because a lot of us have moments in our life where we're like, you know what? My life sucks. I'm just going to go off and (laughs) join the military or join the Air Force or whatever. So was there a moment in your life where you, like, felt that or whatever? So uh, when I was in high school, I actually played football. Uh, okay. And uh, uh, I was actually pretty, I was pretty good at it. Uh, but uh, I didn't get any looks at like like by any like D one schools or anything like that. But mm-hmm. I did get a couple looks from a couple uh, from different like D two or D three schools or whatever. Uh, but uh, during my uh, one of like some, my last year playing football in high school, mm-hmm. uh, I remember I, I hit this guy going down the sideline. And I had a bad concussion out there, Ooh, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I like for the last like for the next three days, mm-hmm. uh, like when I was being in conversation with people, people were swaying to me. Like they were moving. Like and I remember that night I had went home and I had to put my foot on the ground while I, while I was in bed just to give me my orientation of where I was at because the room was spinning, man. Like I had a bad oh, concussion, wow. man. Okay. And so uh, after the season happened, man, uh, my coach came to me and he was like, Hey, you know, we can put together some stuff if you if that's what you want to do. And I was like, Coach, I'm beyond with you man 
if I got to wake up like this every single day yeah. just to play football, mm-hmm. hey, I'm good, man. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, because I was, I was a running back and, uh, and, I, and I'm, I, I got hit all the time, you know what yeah. I mean? And so uh, I knew football. I just kind of let that go. So boot camp or basic training, whatever you want to call it, right? The question or the thought process, at least – I've heard from several people is whether do you do you prepare for it? Do you not prepare for it? And you get both ways, right? You get some people who don't prepare it. You get some people who did who did prepare for it. Like myself, I did a lot of prep. But in this um, clip, I talked to to Aaron about that um, that whole process because. There were like like as we both saw, there was people who did prepare. There's people who didn't prepare, and that could be for different reasons. Maybe you were a, an athlete in school. Maybe you weren't. Maybe you already had a gym routine, a workout routine. Maybe you didn't. So some people, I guess, just came to basic training looking to get in shape. So uh, we talk about that in this next clip. So here it is. It was. It's very surprising. Like you're saying, people being not prepared for boot camp, right? I. I trained a lot before boot camp and then I got there and there was a lot of people who were out of shape and I was thinking, <laughs> well, wait a minute, did I just do this for no reason? It was just <laughs> yeah. kind of like, it was, it was very strange because I thought right. everybody was going to be, you know, crazy because I had a certain perception right. of what the military yeah. was and I thought, yeah, I need to get prepared for this because this is going to be intense, but it wasn't as intense as I thought it would be. Well, in the Air so, Force, you know, you guys get to do um, all the cardio and computer chairs, you yeah. know. And so, <laughs> yeah, <I'm just> right. <laughs> no, there you go. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know, you're absolutely right. So, like, for me, I was playing, um, you know, sports all through high school, and I was in amazing shape. So, you know, uh, you know, Marine and Army boot camp is really tough, right? And the State Navy's behind it, and mm-hmm. I'm not saying the Air Force isn't, but you know, in the Navy, I remember, uh, same thing. We had, we had some classmates that were, you know, right at the, um, the last age group, 37 mm-hmm. to, you know, here I was here. I'm 17 years old, a bunch of us, 17, 18, 19 with, you know, middle-aged men, mm-hmm. uh, 35, 36, our boot camp commander was, uh, 37 years old. And you're absolutely right. He struggled. It was it was tough. And for all those young guys and skinny and in great shape, we couldn't wait to go running. You know, we were begging to go out and get some exercise. You know, and so you're right. There's um, some people that uh, didn't train. I don't think they realized what they got themselves into, right. and they paid a dear price when they went there because Navy boot camp is not. Um, it's physical. You know, like I said, somewhere in between, like Air Force and the Navy, uh, the Army Marines, mm-hmm. and um, but you know, every day you still got to run a couple miles and marching around on hot asphalt in San Diego. So, mm-hmm. even as something as simple as marching around, uh, a lot of people struggled with it. You know, high knees. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, come on, this is the easiest thing because a lot of people weren't athletes in school. Right, they were sitting around, and and uh, you knew which ones were. You knew which ones were uh, were were the laggers because, uh, and they didn't put it. In Navy, they didn't put him in the back. Mm. They put him in the front. They put all the hard chargers in the back, right. you know, to push them. Yeah. They weren't going to let them fall behind. And so, but anyway, we all, we all made it work. And, um, you know, I, 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 I like boot camp. One thing that I'm always interested to hear is 
what each branch kind of experiences as far as doing basic training? Is there a female-male separation or are the females and, and males together? I mean, obviously, they're not together in the same flight, but are they within the vicinity of each other and stuff like that? So in this next clip, I do talk to Josh about that. This was episode, an outtake from episode four. But like... For example, at the Air Force basic training, you just you we had um, our female sister flight in the dorm that was right next to us in the same building, but obviously we weren't really supposed to integrate with each other. And you know, in basic training, anytime you got close to a female, you usually got yelled at. Those were the the very few times that I did get yelled at was you'd you'd be marching through say the the defac or whatever it's called the chow hall and you'd get too close to a female and someone would yell at you but uh that's besides the point i mean this this next clip is just josh talking about um in the marines kind of the female male separation and how that whole thing works so enjoy how many um how many girls did you did you guys ever did you do basic training like with females or was it like separated i don't know how does that work so we have east coast west coast we okay. have hollywood marines and then we have the real marines All right. but uh officers and females get trained in the east coast so there's that little military jab for you sorry right. everyone <laughs> but um yeah they're separated from when i was in i believe they've become integrated even on the west coast okay. but um if you talk to an east coast marine they would talk to you about going through segregated boot camps and then you go on to a follow-on school called marine combat training for mm -hmm. a month where you learn basic um infantry stuff i highly doubt it's basic infantry stuff it's just pogues trying to feel cool right. but i mean since every marine's a rifleman we have to learn it mm -hmm. it's kind of fun but those platoons were integrated from what i understand and right. yeah i used to talk to the guys and gals where we get to mos schools like what's it like training with females and they're just just like everywhere else it's great it sucks it's awesome it's not right. i mean they're just people we're all just people at right. the end of the day next up is my guy moses walters right and this this section is is really good it's actually really important because the supervisor-airman relationship, it's very, very complicated, or the supervisor-airman bond, whatever you want to call it, because you get all these airmen, like, for example, in, in Lakenheath, I was supervisor to, must have been, like, five-plus airmen, and that was the most I'd ever been in charge of, and it's essentially like you're just looking after your, your kids, basically. That's what I can imagine having kids is like. And they screw up all the time. I mean, when I was an airman, I was a screw up as well. It's just like you essentially you'll come into the Air Force and you just reset like you just suddenly you don't know anything. You could have been the big boss back when you were a civilian. But when you come in and you're an airman, you just do stupid things. And yeah, but there's still a certain bond that you develop with your airmen. And this is kind of what me and, and, and Moses are talking about in this, in this next little snippet. So, yeah, here's me and Moses talking about that bond that supervisors and airmen have. Um, so to be yeah. fair, Chris, right, like uh, young airmen, I'd say half and half. I won't say generally, but half and half, they suck. They're trying to find themselves. Mm -hmm. They don't understand like life yet. They haven't experienced shit, right? Like they don't, they're not really on board with like the mindset of 
reporting to people, meeting deadlines, acting right, watching themselves when they're away from work. But you had some special ones. I'm not going to lie. You had some really special ones in terms of uh, the issues department. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant special as in good. I was like, wait, were they special after I left? That's not or? what I mean. That's <laughs> oh, I mean, you meant no. as in like All special All my airmen cases. were amazing. I, I, I was blessed yes. as an airman. I did. But. Yeah, but it's – it's the, the thing is, though, you, you develop kind of a, a bond with your airmen. So even though they annoy you so much yeah. sometimes, you you they're almost like your kids, basically. Yeah. It's, kind of, it's kind of weird. When did you say there's yeah. two sides to it, too? Like you, the person, the people that they are, sure, they're great. But the airmen that they are in terms of like you, you care for them, but then you're like, why did you do this incredibly stupid thing that's going to get both of us put in blues yeah. and make both of us look like idiots? Yeah. And yeah right? Like, yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Like you're, you're just like, man, why did you do this to me? Because it's all it always comes back to the supervisor. Always, However, always. the airman that got a DUI. Only he had to show up in blues. Like I you had to, I had to be there. You lucked out. In a, like I was I was getting my blues ready. I was yeah, like, oh yeah, here we yeah, go. Yeah, you're but actually, we yeah. I had to. I just showed up in ABUs and. It was all good to well, – wait, what are they called now? They're not called ABUs anymore, are they? Oh, yeah, OCPs. OCPs, yeah, sorry, yeah. yes, yeah. yes. That's what I meant. I was about to say BDUs. No, you're good. Like, you're good. Yeah, <laughs> you're, we're not that old. <laughs> OCPs, that's it. But, yeah, yeah, Lake and Heath was interesting, ladies and gentlemen. All right, next I'm going to bring you the man, the myth, the legend, fan favorite, Mr. Grant Herson. So episode two – and yeah, a lot of people loved this episode. A lot of people loved Grant as a guest. And it was basically just because he told it how it is. And um, he spoke a lot about the ins and outs of the Air Force. But one thing was we were stationed in England together. And he was very much about experiencing the culture. And that's one thing that, you know, if you are in the Air Force and you go somewhere, I think is very important to experience the culture, take it in travel around as much as you can and don't just, you know, relegate yourself to just being within the American bubble, so to speak. So Grant talks a lot about in this um, kind of little speech that he gives just about the experience of football or soccer, as some may say. And he just gets into it and, and like kind of how he experienced it while he was in England. So here's Grant. Folks would sit at home and, and stream the, the Real Madrid game on TV or the Man U game on TV, and you just go to the stadium. It's, uh, it's, it's not that hard to get there, not that hard to do, and uh, it's, it's a wild experience to think back you know, 20 years ago when I was first learning about soccer and watching it on TV to now saying, oh, yep, been there, been there, been there, been there, uh, and it's completely blessed to have had as many experiences as I had to – live as many places as I have and get to experience as many different things as I have. Yeah. And even to touch on the football thing, like even if you can't, you know, you can't afford to go to the game or whatever, you don't want to go to the game. It's just as good sometimes going to a pub, you know, wherever and just experiencing the atmosphere of watching the game. I, I have to admit right now I have seen zero episodes of Game of Thrones mm -hmm. because <laughs> okay. I, I don't have a TV at home. And... If you're living somewhere, whether it's a few years here in Nevada or a few years in England, uh, you think about that as like having, you know, having 52 weekends or having 104 weekends available to you. And you got to go out there and, and make the most of them, right? Mm -hmm. And just to your point, you know, even, even on a Tuesday night after work, if I wanted to watch the game, I would tell myself, you know, 
go down to the local pub and get a beer and like chat with the with the the locals because even some of the craziest stories are just walking from my apartment around the corner to the pub and having something go on or seeing somebody or meeting somebody interesting at the game watching you know, just watching on tv yeah the game of thrones reference there <clears throat> by the way game of thrones is amazing it, it is very time consuming <laughs> and and one day when i'm 70 years old and retired uh, i will look it up and i'll i'll knock them all out in a few weeks and i'll i'll be up to speed but for yeah no sense in no sense in using your your weekends while you're young and living somewhere fun i mean you're almost at 20 years you know when you retire <laughs> from there you can there you go you can do it man it's it's doable but anyway on this podcast i've tried to have as many different people as possible, but I think overall, one person you can definitely say who's been on this podcast definitely has the most experience, and that's Ross Bryant, right, who was on episode five. And me and Ross, we met at um, the MVSC, the Military Veterans Services Center here on um, UNLV. And a big reason I actually joined UNLV was because of the veteran community and the fact that I was separating from active duty Air Force and going into the reserves. And, you know, knowing that there was a good veteran community here, it was a good place to go to here in Las Vegas at UNLV. And uh, Ross, you know, in his podcast, he talked a lot about his career and, and kind of how it led him to UNLV. But uh, this this uh, little snippet of an outtake from his, his episode kind of talks about his journey and how he made it here to, to UNLV and stood up the, the MVSC that still sits here to this day. So um, just listen to Ross and, and his, his experience and kind of what he talks about as far as um, going into that role. So I had all these different deployments. During that period, though, because I had five years enlisted, my manager was saying, hey, you've had all these commands, you've done all these things very well, you've had all these deployments, uh, but now uh, you have to have a nominal assignment. So I got sent to ROTC to teach cadets how to be future officers at Cal State San Bernardino, okay. and I was selected to be a Ukrainian foreign area officer. Mm-hmm where they paid for my master's, and I was supposed to go to language school. That did not pan out, and then what ultimately happened, I can't go back to tanks because I've been out of that assignment. The process to be a foreign area officer was defunded, and then all of a sudden, an armor branch, they called me and said, hey, we have a interesting opportunity for you, but it's sort of the end of your career. We need someone to go to UNLV and open up a closed ROTC program, hmm. and with your experience, you're the guy but that would be back-to-back ROTC, and so you're never going to make lieutenant colonel if you're okay with that. And I had four years to go, so I got to UNLV, stood up a premier program that is here to this day, mm-hmm. and uh, that was my last assignment here. And the networking here has resulted in me being at UNLV for 20 years. All right. I was known as the Army guy who stood up the vet center. So in all that background, um, it's been 40-some years of leading people, leading soldiers, leading a team that takes care of vets. I feel blessed to still be doing all those kinds of things. And then the generation that you're part of coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, the transition challenges that every vet faces, everyone has a different transition challenge. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so being able to help is sort of my own therapy. 
So my own transition from turning down lieutenant colonel because I got offered lieutenant mm. colonel to go to the Pentagon as my last assignment, didn't want to do it. Right. Um, but being here at UNLV and building a program that takes care of you and your generation of vets is very rewarding because we are approaching our 10-year anniversary. Mm. We've had over 3,000 graduates, a 70% graduation rate. A lot of these folks are combat vets with multiple deployments who then come back and have to transition to new careers. Yeah. And we've also helped those who have really been struggling on the other side you hear all the time, uh, trying to combat suicide and different things that have come our way. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm just proud of everything we've been doing. We'll finish on Tamiya talking about the UNLV veterans community. So I'm not going to go into this too much because I have spoken about how I I came here because of the veteran community and whatnot. But this just again expresses further and further just how how tight of a of a of a crew it is basically because Tamia does know you know Tamia Aaron and um, Ross who I've all had on the podcast they all know each other and um, I believe it's the Veterans Alumni Club um, in which Tamia works for and. And they're all kind of just one community, which helps out everybody um, who's, a, who's a veteran and whatnot. So um, this, again, just expresses how good that community is. So here's Tamiya. So the Veterans Alumni Club reaches back also. <laughs> I mean, I love the concept of reaching back, having gone and lived my life and gone and experienced life as it is, and reach back to someone else who's coming through that process. So we reach back to the people who currently are here on campus, you know, we work with Ross Bryan. I know you had him on here before, mm -hmm. you know, the um, the Rebel Vets. And we celebrate them. We see what we can do to support them. You know, we, we look in the community for veterans that would be able to help mentor and also help employ, mm -hmm. you know, and help people with internships, things such as that, so that we can ensure the success of our veterans in our community here, and specifically UNLV. But of course, when we reach out to veteran business owners in the community, then we also have that opportunity to let veterans who may not have come from UNLV, but they did come from military service, mm -hmm. give them also the opportunity to reach back. Yeah. And uh, can I just say as well, one thing a, a big reason I did come to Las Vegas and UNLV, as we were talking about before, was the amount of like veteran support and the fact that there is a good veteran community around here. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the American Military Brit, the outtakes. We're going to have more outtake episodes coming, so be sure to tune in and listen to all the different things that I unfortunately had to cut out of the different podcasts. So tune in for that to hear some more great content. So thank you for listening and goodbye for now.